it's good to be here. Mentioning again that I had 25 grandkids uh, made me feel decrepit. Um, <laughs> I feel like I needed help up the steps this morning, but I made it on my own, which was good. So that's great. Great to be here. Great to be here just in the, in the middle of this series on Ephesians as well. So it's a great letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, a church of, of a, in a hubbub of a city which is going through all sorts of stuff, and we'll learn a little bit about more of that as we go on. You know, in my uh, iPad, I have a, a folder that's just entitled Help Me Understand. It's got a whole bunch of just little notes on it of things for me that are a sort of anomalies in life. They are quirky thoughts that I get, maybe just tell you more about my mindset than it does about anything else. But I thought I'd share a few with, them, with, with you this morning. Um, just to help you understand how it thinks. Help me understand how that word is pronounced quinoa. It's pronounced quinoa, isn't it? It's quinoa. It's not quinoa, but somehow we've, we've called it that. And I can remember being in a, a, a foodie shop up the an organic food shop up the coast, up the Sunshine Coast with my wife. And uh, we were looking for actually this product and and, you know, I know my wife gets a bit mortified by some of the things I say sometimes. And sometimes, I've got to be honest, I deliberately embarrass her, which is not a good thing for a husband to do. But, but I remember we finding it and I remember saying to her with people around in a loud voice that could be easily heard, Honey, I think I found the quinoa. And uh, she was mortified like I thought she would be and, uh, um, you know, not happy with that statement. Help me understand why jeans with holes in them cost more than jeans without holes. Yeah, okay, this is an age thing. I understand this, but it's an age thing. But help me understand why jeans that have got holes in the knees or anywhere else for that some of them huge holes, cost more than jeans without holes. My daughters, most of them, I think all of them, have got jeans with holes in the knees. 100 bucks. $39 at Target. These are. And at the moment, I just remembered, at the moment, 20% off. For jeans at Target. Anything denim at Target's 20% off. Help me understand when optional oils became essential. <laughs> you ever wonder about that? When did optional oils become essential? Um, I used to get, if I had a headache, I'd take a Panadol, a couple of Panadol, and an hour later it's, it's gone. Now, get a headache, my wife will rub number 474 on my, on my temples. And then I'll take a Panadol and a half an hour later it's gone. But, but she doesn't always know that. But help me understand those things. There's some things you just don't understand. Here's a question I want to ask us today in this passage of Scripture. Help me understand, is Christianity a way to life or a way of life? Is Christianity a way to life or a way of life. And while you're thinking about the answer to that, I'm going to read you the scripture that we're going to look at today from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, 
if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former contact, conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So our question is, is Christian, Christianity a, a way to life or a way of life? The answer is it's both. It's both. But you've got to get the sequence right. You can't be good enough to get to Jesus, but you come to the way of life and then live a way of life. You come to the way to life and you live a way of life. Jesus identified himself and called himself the way. The church that we're a part of today was before it was ever called the church, was called the way. So we need to understand that we come to the way and then we live a way of life. It's both in the right order, in the right perspective. You can't live a good moral life. You can't be respectable enough to get you to the way of life. You have to get to the way of life and then live the way of life. And Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, which came to a, a city that was you know, full of all sorts of backgrounds and religious worship, etc., is, is a perfect, if you like, expression of both of those. The first three chapters remind us of the way to life. They talk about coming to life, what it means to come to the place of Jesus. And then chapters four to six, and Anna started those, four, those three chapters last week. Chapters four to six talk about the way of life, that when you've come to the way to life, you get to live this way. In righteousness and holiness, the scriptures say. But you need to understand that, that when you look back, Paul has opened the way to life for us. Look way back in, in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, and we read this, verses 8 to 10. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You can't brag about a respectable life. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the way to life. There's no other way. No other way. God's grace is open to us. We choose it and we come to life. And then God sees us as masterpieces that he's created works for us to do in advance. Way to life, then way of life. And in fact, Paul, right at the very beginning of the Ephesian letter, and I'd encourage you to read, I'm not going to read these verses, but the first 14 verses of the letter, and it wasn't 14 verses when Paul wrote it, of course, we've made it 14 verses, but the first part of the letter talks about those things, those aspects of faith, those aspects of the way of Jesus that we have when we come and accept his grace. I won't read them all to you, but I will point them out to you, you read in that that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ very early on in this, in this uh, letter. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ. That means you have everything, 
you need to live the life of God wants you to lead. If every spiritual blessing in Christ, and the question is this, if you have every spiritual blessing in Christ, here's the question, which spiritual blessing do you not have? Every equals every. And why I say that, I see folk who are sort of come to faith in Jesus and they still sit waiting for the next blessing and the next blessing and the next blessing and never get to live out the way of life. Now, God does all sorts of things with our, with our, in our lives and blesses us in so many ways. But you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. He says he chosen you before the creation of the world. Way back in the first chapter. You've been chosen for the creation of the world. That means before the ground that you drove over to get here was created today, before the ground where your car is parked or where you're sitting was ever created, you were chosen. God knew you. You think about that. You could ponder on that for a week and never get to the depths of that. He says you've been redeemed through his blood. He sang a little bit about it this morning. We'll sing about it a bit later on. What that means is we've gone our own way. We've chosen to live our own life. We've done our own thing. And whatever that is, we paid the price for it. But God came along and, as Brad reminded, paid a bigger price, a redemption price, a buyback price to give us life and life in its fullness. goes on to say that he has shown us the mystery of his will. This is in the first few verses. He's shown us the mystery of his will. You might think, well, I still struggle to find out the will of God sometimes, and so do I. But sometimes that's because we're so busy or not reflective enough or not put enough time into it that it says we God has shown us the mystery of his will. It's not as far-fetched as we think. Finally, he says you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Spirit as a guarantee of what's to come, it says. Man, that is extraordinary. You've been rescued by grace and you've been given this that Paul spells out in the first few verses. And let me tell you, you don't deserve this. You haven't earned this. You can't merit this. You can't buy this. It's a gift of God's grace to you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to grasp this because it's through that you can then turn and live for him. That's really, really important. You didn't choose it. God gives it. And then it comes in this letter that the next little bit is all about how to live. If that's happened, how to live. The first few chapters are, are really inspirational. The next three are not, you wouldn't say inspirational, but they're very instructive. They're instructive of how to live. And it goes on to talk about, and you'll look at this in, in weeks to come, about how to speak and how to not deal with people's property and how to not to steal and how to you know, live your life and how to family relationships work and how kids and parents work and husbands and wives work and how to deal with the enemy. All those practical things that follow on now are in chapters 4 to 6. But this little passage here, only a few verses, is quite pivotal in knowing what is it that gets us from here to there. What is the soil what is the soil that allows us to take the way to Jesus into the way of Jesus and live it healthily and well? What's the soil of that? What's the things that really matter? 
What allows us transition from the way to life to the way of life and make it integral and whole? And Paul is very clear. Two things. It's your heart and your mind. It's your mind and your heart. It's those two parts of you that when they come together, healthily and well, make you a whole person and allow you to live out your faith and your life the way Jesus calls you to live it out. And Paul talks in this context of what the barriers were in those places for the people around the church, the, what they call the Gentiles, those who have not come to the way of life yet. What's stopping them from doing that? What's stopping them, even some of those who've, who are in the church maybe, what's stopping them from taking the next step? What's hindering the, the fruitfulness of that ground, of that soil, to help them live that way out? We need to understand how important those two things are in preparing us to live well and to live our life as a way of life. To take the response to Jesus that we've made and live it out in our everyday life. He's talked about the mind and the heart. And the Apostle Paul, writing to this church, uses some very, very, very strong language talks about the mind, for example, and he, uses, he says this, they live in the futility of their thinking, those outside, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, and ignorant. That's pretty strong. This has got nothing to do with intelligence. It's nothing to do with how clever you are or how smart you are. They're very clever people in Ephesus, very clever people in most churches. It's not about your brain, it's about your mind. Don't confuse. It's about your thinking, your perspective, the way you put stuff together, the way you perceive things. It's got to do with your mind. And Paul uses that very strong language. He talks about the futility of their thinking. That's a, a word that literally means wanton avoidance. Just blank desire not to go further. It's an avoidance of the things of God. He talks about the darkening of their understanding. That word in the, in the Greek language is a word called skotu, and it means, and they use it in astronomy, for an eclipse. Some of you like me would have seen an eclipse last week. But what it means is when something comes between you and the light, and darkens it. He's saying to people, there are some of you with, with darkened minds where there's something's come between you and the light. It's important. He says, you've been alienated from the life of God. This is a chosen estrangement. You've chosen estrangement from the life of God. You've got God in a box somewhere or over there and you've chosen to alienate from anything else except that little box. And he said, you live in ignorance, which is an intentional ignorance. That's the word used. He says to the people, you've lived in willful ignorance. Amazing statements. Tough language. And he says, you've lived in that state of mind because of the blindness of your heart. He uses the word blindness. It's also in some translations, hardness of heart. 
It's the word, and some of you will know this word because maybe a little bit like me, you suffer a bit from it. It's the word porosis. It's used in the original language for bones and for wood, timber. And it means calcify to calcification or petrification. It means when, when bones get calcified, you know what that's like. If you've ever suffered or suffered a little bit from osteoporosis, you, you, your bones get calcified or, or you see timber that's been there for a long, 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 long time and it's petrified, it's hardened like a rock. And that's the word he uses here to, to refer to the hardness or the blindness of life, of heart. And he says, your mind can be alienated and your heart can be blind and that's what causes you to do your own thing. It's what causes you to live your own way. That's what stops you going from the way to Jesus sometimes to the way of Jesus, to the way of life. That's what happens. And we need to understand that our mind, your mind, not your brain, but your mind is the place of transformation. That's where transformation happens. And your heart is the place of hope. That's where hope happens. You know, when Paul's writing to the Roman church, which again was a hotbed of all sorts of things like Ephesus was, he says this when he, when he writes to the Roman church in chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. As our minds are in the process of being transformed, opened up by God, that's how we start to find out what God's will is. That's when we've got to start to find out what pleases him, what's important for him how to live this stuff out rather than just proclaim it. How do we live it out? It's the place of transformation. And he's already prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, just after I, those things I mentioned before, those five things, he prays for the Ephesian church right at the beginning of his letter. And one of the things he prays is this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. You see, I hope you understand, we have, you, have, you and I have two sets of eyes. We have the eyes of our head and we have the eyes of our heart. And the eyes of your head don't always see hope. I watch the news most evenings. I read the newspaper most days. And the eyes of my head see desperation. The eyes of my head see violence. The eyes of my head see Sickness, see injustice, see wars, see unsettledness. That's what the eyes of my head see. It's not hope. That's why he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, that second set, are open. Because it's the eyes of your heart that see hope. Hope's really important. Really crucial. Such a powerful thing. Hope is, hope is not optimism. Optimism is when you tell yourself things are going to get better. Hope is when you realise that God can bring stability and an anchor whether things get better or not. 
the things God brings stability and an anchor, no matter what the circumstances are. Optimism says, oh, the circumstances will get better. Hope says more than that. I'll say more than that. And when you bring together a mind that's being transformed by the Spirit of God within, with eyes of, of, of hope, to, when you bring those two things together, look out. Because God can do amazing things when those two things are together. And they're the things that form the soil for this faith that we have, this way we've discovered in Jesus to become alive, to become real, to become so important, to become preeminent in our lives. That's, it's those two things together, your mind and your heart, that allow you to go from a way to life to a way of life that encompasses everything, every part of you. When your mind and your heart are flowing together in health and in well-being. That's what matters. Transformed, transformed mind and an enlightened, hopeful heart. That will change everything. Will change you, it will change me, change churches, change communities, change worlds. It will do that. Look out when you see that. And then you can live out your life with power and with impact with impact in the world in which we live. It's out of that that then Paul goes on to talk. Of, he can say, you live like this and you can speak like this and you can you know, live these sort of ways. Only out of that can that flow. Otherwise, it's so forced and so contrived. We just try to live good, respectable lives to look like we've made the distance. But it doesn't come out of a flow doesn't come out of a mind that's transformed and a heart that's hopeful. And that's really important. And then Paul says this is a new way of life and the analogy he uses in this new way of life is a, an analogy of a wardrobe, really. It's putting off and putting on. It's taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. This is what he says, and I'll read it to you again. read it earlier. This, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you, when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put off the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, with a helpful mind and heart, you make some choices. You make some choices to put off garbage that needn't be there or old clothes, he uses the analogy, and you put on new clothes, a new life. You see, you don't nail the cross to your old way of life. You nail your old way of life to the cross. It's not that, you know, now I've come to faith in Jesus, there's a new dimension to an old life, I can just add another piece of it, I can put Jesus in the wardrobe with all the other stuff that's already in there. No, no, no. He's put off stuff and put on new life. Put on life that now comes out of a renewed mind. Put on life that comes out of a hopeful heart. Take off and put on. Don't try and see just your faith as an, as an extra dimension to your already respectable life. That ain't it. It's a new life. I said, you don't 
nail the cross to your old way of life. You nail your old way of life to the cross and make it new. That's what's important. And that's the illustration that, that the Apostle Paul used in this letter. A lot of people just see Christianity as an added nice dimension to an old life that's brand new. And it's in the process. It's not, it's not once off and that's it. It's the ongoing process of putting off and the ongoing process of putting on. You know, in the analogy, when you think of the analogy, it's clothes that he uses as analogy. You'd never put clean clothes on over grubby ones, would you? I, uh, I go to the gym four or five times a week. You'll have to believe that by faith, but that's true. <laughs> I just think about what it would be like to come home from the gym one afternoon, get home about 5.30, home from the gym and I've you know, been there an hour. You're finding it even more disbelieving, aren't you? But I've been there about an hour. And to come home and then say to my wife, honey, we're going out for dinner. We're going to a swishy place. Which we haven't been to for a long time, but we're going to a swish place. And you don't take your gym gear off. On top of this sweaty T-shirt, you put on a nicely ironed shirt. And you, the socks that are now stuck to your feet, you don't peel them off. You just leave them there. Put your better, different pair of shoes on. Other parts of your clothing, which things are worse. You just put new stuff onto old stuff. It's awful. It'd be awful. No, no, no. You take off the old and you put on the new. And it might be today there are some of us here in person or online who need some stuff to take off and do some stuff to put on. And it's a fantastic phrase, now that you've learned Christ, not learned about Christ, not had some academic knowledge of Christ, not that you've cerebrally cerebrally said yes to Christ, ticked a box, but now that you've learned Christ, you know how to live. You can put off and put on. That's the important thing. It's a fantastic phrase to do that. And you put those together, the continual putting off and on, of a life that's built out of renewal and hope. And the world can change. The world can make a difference. It's not just enough to, to just declare it, make, make statements about our faith. It's dec- the declaration of our faith and the living out of our faith is what will make a difference in this world in which we live. You can say it till the cows come home, but if people don't see it, it's not going to make a difference. You know, it's, uh, and you will see the impact that it makes. When I was working with Compassion, we would often have to go to different functions. There were all sorts of types of functions. Some were sort of, uh, some of them on, on, on the field were just, you know, digging the beginning of a well. Some of them here in Australia were with key supporters and all sorts of things. And, and so when we get ready to go, my wife would say to me often, what should I wear? What should I wear? Asking me. And expert that I am on female fashion, I would say normally, I've got no idea. I don't know. So then she would say to me, what are you going to wear? And I'd say, I'm going to wear jeans and a T-shirt or I'm going to wear open neck shirt and 
jeans or I'm going to wear a suit and tie sometimes. And then she would know what to wear because she saw what I was wearing. See, that's what happens with our faith. It's not just declaring it, it's actually saying how it's, how it's going to be. How are we living? That's the thing that will help others understand, I've got to go to the way to Jesus and I've got to live the way of Jesus. And your mind and your heart are the soil that together form the basis for being having an integrated holistic faith. That's what makes a difference. That's what does it. And how you respond to that is the pivotal message of Jesus. Because it's not just about what you talk about. It's about your mind and your heart and how you live that out in response to a renewed mind and a hopeful heart. Crucial. How do you respond to this pivotal um, juxtaposition within Paul's letter to the Ephesians? All the great theology of faith and all the language of living it out. How do you respond to that to, to form the soil? I want to suggest to you that you might be here today or online and, and, and you, know, you might need to learn Jesus. As Paul says, it might be for you today a way to life. You've been exploring, you've been thinking, you've heard people talk, you've seen people's lives and you've been exploring this way to faith. And today would be a fantastic day to come to that faith, to say, I accept the grace of Jesus today. I understand what that means and all that provision that it gives me, all that knowing that I have every spiritual blessing in Christ, knowing that I've been chosen before the creation of the world, knowing that I've been bought back by His blood, knowing that His Spirit lives within me as a seal of what's to come, as a guarantee of what's down the track. That might be you today. And I'd encourage you today, don't put it off, because if you're on that expiration, that's the way to start, the way to life. But it may be today there are other things that have, you've come to that place and you need to try to work out what, what needs to be put off and what needs to be put on. You might be here today and you realise that in using Paul's analogy that you're just hanging Jesus in the closet with everything else. He's there, but he's not preeminent. Sometimes he's prominent because you bring him out sometimes, but he's not preeminent in everything. And today you might need to say, I need to put off some stuff that's, that's just been holding me back from living the way God would want me to do. And you know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is, but you know what it is. That might be yours today. Or you might be here today and you, you realise that maybe your mind's become a little dulled. You know, you, there's something that's come between you and the light and it's almost okay because I've got it in the place I need. I've got Jesus in the position where I need him to be. You might be here today and you know your heart's a little calcified. It's a little cold. It's a little hard. It's a little sort of covered over. You might need to say today, in order to live this life God called me to, I need to open that heart up somewhat. 
I need to forgive. I need to free. I need to refresh. I need my heart to be opened. You might be here today trying to wear some new clothes over old clothes and it's uncomfortable and it's not pretty and it's not nice. And you know it's not nice, but as long as you keep the you paper over those old things and no one really sees them, it's okay. Wherever you are today, you need the soil of a, a fresh heart and a hopeful heart and a transformed mind. You need that soil to be tilled, to be aerated, to be opened up so that you can know the way to Jesus and the way of Jesus, the way to life and the way of life. And just going to ask you to be a little brave this morning, a little courageous maybe, but just if any of those things ring a bell with you, if you just know in your heart of hearts, your mind of minds, that that's you. This is the day I want to come to faith in Jesus. Or this is the day I need to throw off some stuff or illuminate my mind a bit better and take the glasses of my heart and give hope. Maybe there are some situations that are very hard to get hope today. I don't know. And all you're doing is looking with the, the eyes of your mind, your head. If that's you today, I just want, I want to pray for you. I want you to feel free to simply stand where you are. I'm not going to elongate this or make it a big lengthy deal. Just a 30 seconds or so, just to say, if, if that's for you today, if you're on the way to Jesus and this is it, or today you need to soften that soil in some way in your heart or your mind, you need a, a putting off and a putting on. And today you know what that is. I want you to stand where you are right now. I'm not going to labor that pray for you. So you just do it right now where you are. Just stand. I'll be quiet. Thank you. You might want to join those folk who are standing. Just a way to or a way of Jesus putting off and putting on. That's a gutsy thing to do. Just a few more seconds. Bless you. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you today for those people who stood and in so doing saying, I just need to discover the way to Jesus today or I need to rediscover that or I need in some way in my own life to put off some stuff and put on some stuff. Maybe I've been rusted onto things that are unhelpful. Maybe I need to jettison some things that are unhelpful. Maybe today I've allowed things to cloud my vision and the eyes of my heart have been closed off and blocked. Or maybe today there's a heart that I know is a little calcified, a little hardened, something I need to forgive, something I need to let go of. God, I want to thank you for each person who still, I don't know the need, I don't know what that is. You do, and I thank you for that. And 
Father, I would pray for release and freedom and for soil to be tilled today, for a difference to be made so people's hearts can be open to you, that we can see that beautiful combination of mind and heart, transformed mind, hopeful heart, that will make a difference in an individual life, in the church, in the community, in the world. Father, bless each person today, I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for that. Please take a seat. Thanks for that courage and strength to do that. And I want to say this. If, if you came to Jesus today for the very first time, if that was your stance, make sure you talk to one of the leaders down the front afterwards or see someone in the desk. Uh, don't go away without, without telling someone. That's important. And even if you st- stood for another reason, it might be good to share that with someone. Maybe ask them to pray for you through the week and just be encouraged as you do that. But uh, let's live together with transformed mind, hopeful hearts in Jesus' name.